2: Welcome to Talking Halos, it's Derek Apollo, all by myself for this podcast. I've got a lot on my mind that I want to share with you. I'm sorry John's on here, John's on vacation with the family. If you get a chance, send going a wave on Twitter, and Nick is, is at work, so it's all me today on this Wednesday, August 7th. It's my daughter's birthday, so I'm actually recording this podcast early so I can spend the day with her, but what I'm really looking at today, what I want to focus in on is something we really haven't discussed much on this show, and that is Brad Asmus, the current manager of the Angels. The big thing for me with him is trying to parse his decision making out from the circumstances, and that's what I want to look at today. That's what I want to focus in on, and I also want to look at other factors surrounding this team as it now has lost six in a row. It's been swept in two straight series. It's lost four straight series, and they're now three games under five hundred. Before we get there, I do want to just say, hey, we, we're just getting started here. We're now just over three months old, but if you like what we're doing, Check us out at Apple Music and subscribe. We'd really appreciate that. We also have a contest going on right now that we're giving away two tickets to the September 13th bobblehead game. Mike Trout bobblehead game against Tampa Bay Rays. That's a Friday night, I believe. Friday night, September 13th. They're nice seats. All you got to do is head on over to uh, Apple Music, leave a review, five-star review and send us a screenshot either by direct message on Twitter or by email at talkinghalos at gmail.com or even on our Facebook page you can do that as well and just to show us that you did it. That'll be your entry. It'll also give us your name because different Apple Music names aren't, like logins aren't the same as your name. So that lets us know who you are. And if it's written, we will give you a shout out in the podcast. I have a couple that have been written. I want to wait until John comes back before I read them on the show because he's, he's mentioned a couple of them and it'll be kind of funny. So there it is. Also, if you are a new listener and you are enjoying the show, please do us a solid, share the show out. If you could text a fellow Angels fan that you think would like the show and enjoy it, send them our send way, please. We really appreciate that, and your support means the world to us. All right, so the Angels lose last night 8-4, rain delay game. They lose 7-4 in the first game of the series. There are a couple things about this series, the Indian series, all of these big struggles in the last really four series the angels are kind of adding up now and i'm starting to see a lot of fingers being pointed at brad Ausmus. and even more i can go back to an interview we did with locked on tigers at the time now he's moved on to something else chris brown he was on our show last week i believe for the detroit series and in that first interview i asked him about brad Ausmus and the issues there and here is what he had to say
3: So, yeah, it was kind of a classic case of a team just going, continuing to push more chips in and, and overspending and getting more free agents and trading away all their young talent. And eventually it just all collapsed on them. So they were, you know, you know, they were trading a bunch of young prospects. And then it got to the point where they're actually trading major leaguers. Like in the David Price trade in 2014, they actually traded Austin Jackson. And it was this kind of crazy scene where they pulled him off the field in the middle of a game because they had just traded him. And then they traded uh, Eugenio Suarez, for alfredo simon it's just a brutal trade it's you know nobody thought suarez was going to be this good but it was basically they were just trading anything they had to try to get major league help to try to make one more run before the owner passed away and it all collapsed in auspices second year and then they went out and spent a whole bunch more money in free agency on guys like jordan zimmerman who hasn't worked out and mark Lowe who hasn't worked out and mike pelfrey who didn't work out and then justin upton who worked out okay But uh, he's no longer with the Tigers. So it was just a confluence of events, and and really everything collapsed on him at once.
2: Now, the reason I bring that interview up is because I am seeing on social media, especially a lot of folks who are using the Detroit Tigers issues against Brad Ausmus. And as you can see from talking to Chris, there were a lot of things going on in Detroit. There were a lot of different things they were doing. And to put the blame solely on Al Smith or call him a failure based on what happened there is truly unfair. A couple things. First, everybody deserves a second chance. So even if he did bomb out in Detroit, he deserves a second chance if given the opportunity. Also, the difference in Al Smith really is as we've talked to writers about, it's not that big of a difference. In Socia, he's a bit more relaxed in the clubhouse. He's not the same hard, you know, know, the same hard hard, hard guy that Mike was. And I think we need to actually treat Alismith's tenure with the Angels by itself. Leave Detroit out of it because it's a different situation. It was a different time. And I think what's disturbing to me is the willingness for people to just pile on this guy Especially considering where the team has been this year, what I mean by that is is simple: the Angels entered this year with some modest playoff hopes, and by modest I mean very modest. There are some hopes they can compete for a wild card spot. No one thought they would pass the Astros this year. Kind of a building block year. The big question was the pitching staff, especially with the risk they took on Matt Harvey and Trevor Cahill and Cody Allen, and all those, by the way, didn't work out. So to Right away, we know that there are flaws on this roster. You have Shoy Otani being out at the start of the season. You have Justin Upton being out at the start of the season. Neither one is active during spring training. Both of them have to kind of go through the reps that are involved with getting back into the season. We have other injuries throughout the year to Mike Trott different times, Tommy LaStella. I mean, honestly, it's been up and down battle. LaCroix got hurt when he came back. He plays in one game and looks... I mean, he was already struggling on the plate beforehand, but, and then he looks totally timid at the plate. He's let go the next day. It's been a rough year, and then, of course, you add in losing Tyler Skaggs, who it we, we was hard to know at the time, but when you look back at his numbers and where he had been, he was, I think, finally starting to reach that potential that we had known for him. His, his numbers were solid. He was putting up better outings towards the end, and, um I think he was in the Angels' plans, not just short term, but long term. All these things happening this year, and the Angels still, just a few days ago, really were in solid position. They were five games above five hundred. They were in a, in a place where they could have really set the tone for a possible playoff run. It put the Angels in a position. Well, what do you do for the trade deadline? Well, they did very little, and now they have lost four series in a row they are uh, geez <laughs> they've won two games since the Dodgers series two two so you know there, there are several issues that I kind of want to break down with you but I just wanted to set the stage this is where the Angels are I talked about earlier in, in the spring early summer that This schedule coming up mid-August to the end is going to be brutal. We all knew it. And historically, when teams don't have strong starting staffs, they break down in August. The heat, the wear and tear of a season, if the bullpen isn't rested. I think that's what we're seeing. I think that's what we're seeing. How much of this is Asma's fault? How much of this is the fault of Billy Upler? How much of it is just the fact that sometimes bad things happen? Sometimes really bad things happen. Circumstances force us to be in places we didn't want to be before, and that's what I want to examine today. That's the big issue that I think Angels fans kind of need to address. And, and I and I also think there are a lot of people who are so willing to hammer Allison right now. When a month ago we were just, we very same people were saying, "Listen, just get the Angels through the season. Just get them through." No more excitations, no more nothing. And then they have a nice month of July, and all of a sudden we decide, hey, there's going to be excitations after all. Now, I'm not saying raising excitations is wrong. I'm just saying it's amazing how quick people change their mind when a little bit of winning occurs. The Red Series, though, I, I think really identified the main problems. And I don't really believe they are the fault of Ausmus. Are there flaws in Ausmus' game? Absolutely. I'll give you two right away. I'll give you two. A, his lineup decisions are questionable at times. Sometimes you think back, okay, it makes sense. He'll move guys around that have no business being in certain positions. He'll, you know, how many times have we seen Cole Calhoun at the top of the lineup? It's not, it's not where he belongs. just not where he should be. And you have Mike Trout hitting behind him. We had, we saw Earl Neer a lot, but it's just not going to work. It's just not. Okay? The lower part of the lineup, seeing guys move up and down, the, the proof is actually in the pudding. If you can have a stable lineup, teams tend to perform better over the course of time. They tend to get used to that spot. A lot of folks will argue, well, there's no real evidence that the lineup has anything to do. It yeah, It does. Because you know exactly what that hitter is doing in front of you, and you know what to expect from behind you. And you're going to come to the plate with a mindset of, all right, this is who's behind me, this is who who's in front of me, these are the things I know do need to do to be supportive of those guys. When you move around the line as much as Smith as has had to do, or has done, then that b- becomes a cohesiveness problem. But when making that case, I think it's got to be said, if we're going to be objective, it's got to be said, but wait How many changes to the lineup have had to be made because of injury? Remember, Otani was gone. Upton was gone. Lestella is now out. These are major cogs to your lineup. Mike Trout missed some time. Renhifo had to be called up when Simba got hurt. Simba's now been hurt twice this year have had a lot of injuries to key players who occupied key positions in the lineup, and you've had to do a lot of shifting. It amazes me that the envisioned starting lineup this year has barely played together. Barely. Because by the time everybody got, came back and got healthy, Tommy Lestella got hurt. People don't realize that the original envisioned lineup for this season never really happened. It never happened. So I think it's fair to be critical of lineup decisions for Brad Alasmus. It's also unfair to overthink that when you've had such a a spreading out of injuries to the point where you never, ever got continuity this season with who's sitting behind you, who's sitting in front of you, what are the roles of each player on the team. Pitching-wise, what can there be said about pitching that we don't already know? This is, in my view, and it's fair to argue. You can argue my point all you want. It's fair. Let's have that discussion. But I personally believe this is the worst Angel starting staff in my 33 years of being a fan of the team. Typically there has been somebody who was the top of the lineup at least, I mean in terms of pitching going back in history ranging to, from Chuck Finley to Mike Witt to Jared Weaver there's always been somebody, Jared Washburn for a short time, always been an ace at some point in the Angels pitching staff. The last couple years we haven't had that. And there's very little in the farm system as of yet I talking with Diamond Digest, Jared Timms. He's pretty high on Chris Rodriguez. If he can get healthy, we know Garrett. Um, sorry, Griffin Canning can probably develop into a two outside of chance at a one. There are several other arms that have just been picked up recently. Jack Hanowitz picked in the third round by the Angels. Uh, there is some potential there for him to develop into a high end uh, rot- uh, rotation guy. But right now, if there's a weakness in the system. That's where it is. And, and that's generally been the case if you're building the, the Cubs where the Cubs did the same thing. The Cubs put build a roster of position players and then went out and got pitching. Overall, my point is this. That's a weakness in the roster, and that's what Austin's had to deal with. You go out there and you sign Trevor Cahill. Trevor Cahill's a guy who has never been spectacular, but he'll eat innings. He'll have a decent ERA. He'll get guys out. Didn't get a whole lot of home runs in his career, and all, the, all of a sudden this season he couldn't do it anymore. No one saw that coming. Do I really blame Apple for, even for that signing? No. Matt Harvey was riskier. He just was not the same guy. He was trying to pitch like the same guy. He admitted that late. He was not the same guy. And that adjustment to a different pitching style did not work for him. It wound up being a bad signing. Cody Allen, we saw issues with him in his last years in Cleveland. Angels took a flyer on him and make him their closer. Didn't work out. That is the hand that Al Smith was dealt this year. And I don't know that the criticism... Coming to him is entirely fair. What do I mean? Well, what I mean is I'm not a big fan of pushing veterans. I'm talking veterans. If they're struggling in the third time in the lineup. The analytics show that teams were hitting above 300, above 320 against the Angels. Third time through the lineup. So to remove, for example, Tyler before he passed, out of the lineup, third time in the lineup. I get that. I understand it. Felix Pena. Moving these veterans out makes sense. I don't think you're going to to really develop them mentally much further than that when they're already 27, 28, 29, 30 years old. Same for Andrew Heaney. These young guys, though, Suarez, Jose Suarez, Griffin Canning, these young pitchers who've come up, that's where some of my beef is when it comes to Ausmus. But that beef is complicated because we don't know where these kids are mentally. And that's the key thing. They are kids. At 21, 22 years old in the major leagues, you're a kid. You're not a kid in terms of a teenager. You're a kid, though, in the game. And you have to decide how much do you protect these guys from themselves and how much do you protect the team from them when they struggle mentally. Some pitchers will grow. Many pitchers will grow mentally by being faced with the challenge and sometimes losing the challenge and sometimes overcoming it i'm a general proponent of that but we do not know the mental evaluation of those two players and other young pitchers as well and that's really my conundrum with with alice And the with all of those things in mind how much criticism does he deserve and i'm seeing all kinds of it especially in the facebook groups and on twitter as well i don't know that it's valid i don't know that it's valid So if you're listening to the podcast and you see this on Twitter, I love to get your feedback on this. I mean, don't just tell me Al Smith sucks. Give me actual reasons why you think he sucks. Really. What is your major problem with him? What has he done to get you off his bandwagon? Or if you think he has not really had a fair shot this year, which which tends to be where I'm leaning, to be honest with you, let me know about that and give me some details there as well. Let us know your thoughts Honestly On Twitter You can send us an email as well Whatever you want Hey if you want to leave A voice message At 657 666 I invite you to do it If it's a clear enough message I will put it on the air As long as you let us know Your name And where you're from There's, I have no problem with that And we'll air it out Next show The main thing I, I want to put out there About Brad Ausmus Is this When it comes down to His capability As a manager Right now We don't really know Because he has not been basically dealt a fair hand this year. It's been Murphy's Law at the Angels all season long. Now, if you want to get mad at Billy Epler because of the risk that they took in free agency, even if there are one-year risks, you can. And there are several people that are. I think he has some accountability there. If you wanted to get upset at Artie Moreno for not dishing out the money for the stars that didn't come here, like Patrick Corbin... That's fine, although we don't know all the details behind that as well. You can get mad at a lot of people, but you really, to me, can't get mad at Brett Ausmus for trying to handle the hand that he's been dealt this year. Other things that are wrong with the Angels, besides the pitching and the wearing out of the bullpen, this lineup is streaky. It's been streaky all year. One of the big problems I see with this lineup is while it's got a ton of potential, even with some of the young kids coming up like Jared Walsh and and Matt Tice, is there is not a whole lot of good base running available there. We've seen numerous mistakes on the base pads made by the young guys, Renhifo and Otani this year, were some really kind of, honestly, some boneheaded plays that comes with youth of the game. Both guys are young. I get it. But the one thing the Angels were very good at early in the year and throughout much of the year, actually, was contact, making contact, getting the ball in play, making sure that you can at least move those base runners along. They don't still a a lot of bases, but at least keeping the ball in play. Strikeouts are your biggest enemy here. You can't do anything with a strikeout. Well, the Angels struck out 17 times. Let me say it again. 17 times in game one of the series against the Reds. They struck out 11 times in the second game of the series. That is completely counter to anything the Angels try to do. In that game on Monday night, Cole Calhoun hitting in the three slot struck out three times. Upton struck out twice. Tice hitting in the five struck out three times. You will not produce in those situations. You will not produce how much that's on the manager, how much that's on the player, how much of it's on the manager, how much is on the player. That's what we have to argue and decide there. In game one, sorry, game two, in game two of the series, Max Stassi, new acquisition, and he's already, we already knew he's not a a great hitter. He's never going to hit much above the Mendoza line. We got that. He strikes out three times. Top of the lineup. Fletcher strikes out once. Trout strikes out twice. Goodwin strikes out once. I do need to note this. The umpiring in this series with the Reds, absolutely horrid, especially in game two. And it was really against both teams. It wasn't simply not the Angels. Some of the calls we saw as strikes were just bananas. Absolutely bananas. When you have players who are trained as to what a strike zone is over the entire course of their life, and then you expand your strike zone to a degree as an umpire to where these guys can't adjust, it's, it's garbage. And it forces you to change how you pitch, how you hit, and it's not fair to either team. Just want to throw that out there. MLB needs to get a handle on this. We've seen a lot of bad umpiring this year. Anyways... With the Angels themselves, that's a core problem. If you're not making contact, this is what they do. They make contact. If you're not making contact, yes, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. So positives. The Boston series, right now, they're not pitching anywhere near as well as the Reds are, especially in the starting rotation for the Reds. There's a chance here. There's a chance for the Angels. The bad side of it, obviously, is over the course of many, many years, the Angels traditionally do not play well against the Red Sox. They just don't. And Who knows how much of that mental is in their head now, if they're even thinking about it. But traditionally, over the course of many years, the Angels do not play well against the Red Sox. Very few times have we seen the Angels actually beat the Red Sox in a season series or in a playoff series. Those are things that just rarely happen. It can happen, by the way. The Red Sox are struggling as well, but probably struggling a little bit less than the Angels are right now. Again, evaluating Ausmus here. How much of that is Ausmus' fault? How much of it is... The player's fault. What is he doing strategically wrong right now? He's not doing a whole lot wrong strategically, honestly. Besides the occasional weird line of choice. I, I'm not mad at him for pitching changes. I'd like to see him let the younger guys go a little bit more. But again, we don't know where they are in terms of mental development. If you follow the analytics of it, the, the decisions he makes with the pitching staff, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And honestly, it's been a freak year. We've lost Tyler. Pena's out with a torn ACL. Cahill, nobody expected Cahill to fall apart the way he did and who needs to go back to Matt Harvey? So that's my question for you. Let us know what you think. Let us know about your judgment on it. I want to make one more point, though, and I think it might be the strongest point overall. As of the off day on August 7th, that's today, the Angels are 56-59. and 59. Tell me how many people from other teams would be all right would accept the 56-59 and 59 record if in the same position the Angels have been in this year. And what I mean by that is, you have the worst rotation in Major Leagues. You lose one of the players who was the heart and soul of that clubhouse. Then the collision with LaCroix happens. Injury to LaStella happens right after that. Pena goes down to torn ACL. If you look at that argument alone, there are a lot of teams who be like, you know what, this is just a year from you know where. Very easily this team could have fallen apart and it could be 30 games under 500 right now or 20 games under 500 right now. They started off very poorly this year. They fought back numerous times. It's been a lot of emotional ups and downs. And sooner or later, you're going to wear down. We don't know what's going on with these guys in the clubhouse, folks. And this is why we said back when Tyler passed away that you really shouldn't put too much excitation on this Angels team the rest of the year because they have to deal with this loss every single day. I was at the game on Saturday against the Indians. And the team that I saw, they're just tired. They're mentally tired. They're tired. Sometimes you forget these guys are human beings. It's been a hard year, one of the hardest years, covering the team and watching this team I've ever seen. And when they're on, they're fun. They're fun to watch. But when they are, when all these things happen, it's important to remember there's a human element. There's a human element. Does this excuse every bad performance? No. Is there some accountability for, for bad decisions being made? Yes. But I just want to caution everybody and ask you, if you're in the same situation, how do you react on a daily basis every day? Would it be possible for you to maintain that same focus, that same drive, when you've been through as much as club has been through this year? Even as a, a manager, Al Smith, he has to try and lead these guys. That's another thing I saw. One thing I saw was the accusation that Brow Al was a poor leader. They showed no passion, no emotion. Well, then you're forgetting the days after what happened, when he outwardly broke down in press conferences and when he's hugging his players as they come off the field. The truth is we don't know what it's like in the Angels clubhouse. We don't know how he is the players. We haven't heard really any bad reports other than a couple complaints from Tyler before he passed about being pulled too early. That's, That's expected. But if he was this horrible leader, I think we'd hear a lot more about it, don't you? My argument there is is just they don't take too much from what you see in the outside world. I'm a teacher. Most of you realize that if you've been listening for a while. I'm a school teacher. I teach American history, American pop culture, and sports history. Privately, when my students struggle and when they fail, I take it hard. I wonder if I've done something wrong. I feel for them, especially when they've worked hard. That's something I show the whole world. No, is it even something I show them? Probably not. Don't. My point is, don't judge the book by the cover you see out there in front of you. There's probably a whole lot more reading inside that cover. All right, I hope that was a fair defense of Brad Asmus. I Again, I'll say there are some decisions I question here, but I think we're going a bit over the top for those of us out there who are going hard at him and putting the blame on him. If you look overall at where the team is right now, he's done me an admirable job of keeping this team together and even at some point getting them above 500 it's been again one of the hardest seasons for this club in a long time and that's saying something given all the tragedy in this team's history all right moving on just want to remind you that we are looking for sponsors heading into the offseason going towards next season our numbers are growing our rates do go up a little bit when uh, the numbers do grow. So, hey, if you would like to lock in a better sponsorship package with us, just send us an email at talkinghalos at gmail.com or send us a voicemail. It us a voicemail at 666 I'll get right back to you. And I'll be more than happy to talk things out and explain how it works. And eventually we'll also set up a Patreon. So if you enjoy the show privately and you want to help support us so we can keep it going, then you'll have that option as well. All right. So the last part of the show here is our interview with... Jake Devereaux from Locked On Red Sox to help us preview the series in Boston this weekend. It's a long one, a four-game series. Hopefully the Angels can can salvage something from it. We'll get his thoughts, and then we'll close up the show. So here we go. Here's Jake Devereaux from Locked On Red Sox. All right, guys. I'm here with Jake Devereaux from Locked On Red Sox to get knee-deep into the Red Sox series with the Angels man our guys are struggling but apparently coming this series we got some struggling red Sox as well so hopefully jake can give us some information jake how you doing man i'm doing well thanks for having me on the show derek really appreciate it Uh, thanks for taking the time i know it's uh, a little bit difficult as season gets on to try and find time to go on other shows and, and talk about your team especially when you're doing your own recordings so we really
0: appreciate it oh yeah of course happy to do it happy to be on different shows it's always fun it is fun. It's fun to talk baseball, right? You know, get in there and get knee deep in some franchises. You don't
2: always see every, you know, you guys play the Yankees, I think, 95,000 times a year, yeah. and uh, <laughs> that's what it seems like.
0: So ESPN certainly makes a point to uh, put put them on Sunday Night Baseball every chance they can get. So every I'm chance. happy to see the Angels. It's, it's nice to see a team like that come in from the West Coast. Well, there's a lot of history there, too. I there mean, sure is. Not all of it's history. been great for you guys, though.
2: Well, almost none of it has. We had, I think, it was one series, <laughs> one playoff yeah. series that we that we, we came out on top of. Uh, yeah. I specifically remember back in two thousand four, and that was a year that the Angels had really gone out. They went and got Vladimir Guerrero, they got Juan Rivera, they got all these guys come in there and finally make you know not not filing but to go make another run after disappointing two thousand three, and the Red Sox gave them problems throughout the year. They get into the playoffs and they just couldn't pitch anymore. And, uh, man, Jared Washburn, that series. Oof. Bad memories. But, in fairness, that's the year you guys ended the curse. So, yep. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. At that point, the Yankees were told the evil empire, and it was fun seeing that empire crumble a little bit, I'll be honest there.
0: Yeah, so, I think everybody enjoyed that.
2: Yeah, and, hey, but, you, know, you, you guys have built an empire on your own now. You guys have won, I think, was a four-world series now since...
0: Uh, let's see. Yeah, 04, 07, 13, and 18. Yeah, yeah. so four. So four. Yeah. It's and, we're been
2: still, nice. and we're still celebrating our one from two thousand two. And you know, you guys a, that was an exciting one though. And one in my opinion, and even if I wasn't an Angels fan, I would say one of the best there's been. One of the yeah. best. Not the best, but one of the best. Definitely. So looking at the Red Sox now, I mean, they were dominant. I mean, dominant last year. Just an amazing team to watch. And this year, not so much. They've had some good runs. but What's happened overall? What's held them back from being what they were
0: last year? What have been their biggest flaws? Well, so it really starts with the the pitching, and both the starting pitching and the relief pitching for the Red Sox. Um, Last year, the Red Sox were lucky to have a completely dominant Chris Sale, um, a guy who went out there and pitched to the best of his ability, challenged for a Cy Young also, to go along with that, they had David Price pitching really well, Eduardo Rodriguez pitching well, Rick Porcello didn't stink. Um, they also had the addition of Nate Eovaldi down the stretch and in the playoffs, which really helped the rotation. And then, as, as everybody watched in the playoffs, really stabilized that bullpen. The other thing was the bullpen had Craig Kimbrell at the back. That was huge. Um, Craig Kimbrell, for all of his frustrations... Um, last year, still had an ERA under three with 42 saves for the Red Sox. So he was a real stabilizing force back there. And then also Joe Kelly, who also left the team this past year. Um, While he could be incredibly frustrating at times, Joe Kelly did lead the team with 65.2 innings pitched out of the bullpen um, and had an ERA in the low fours. And he pitched significantly better than that at some key times during the year. So... Uh, The pitching was just so much better, so much more consistent, and uh, that's been the biggest thing so far.
2: Now, this team overall throughout the course of this season has shown flashes, though, reminding us of who they are. Mm -hmm. Can they make a run here late in the season, or do you consider them dangerous
0: if they can get into the playoffs? Well, I think this... There's another big flaw that this team has uh, that I didn't even get to mention yet, but um, that that flaw is that they've been terrible at situational baseball. Uh, Essentially, what's been happening with the Red Sox this year is they've been allowing a tremendous amount of runs in high leverage situations, and when they actually do uh, go up to bat in high leverage situations, their offense is 26th best in baseball, Um, whereas last year the team was first in baseball by a wide margin in that clutch metric. Um, and I think that they're unlikely to make a run because the pitching's so bad, they can't situationally hit. So even though their offense uh, looks good, it's you know the top offense in baseball by runs scored, the offense doesn't actually perform that well in key situations. So they they're winning a lot of big big games where they' they're scoring like 10, 12 runs, but they're also losing a lot of close games because they can't situationally hit. And they can't situationally pitch. Um, so for me right now, I, the, the roster feels like it's incredibly flawed to the point where I'm seriously doubting their ability to make a postseason run. And the other factor here is um, Dave Dombrowski not adding to this team at the trade deadline, I think, was you know a torpedo to the hull of a, a ship that was already taking on water here in Boston. And I think that even though you can't quantify that, um, I would I would estimate that that did a lot to the psyche of the team that was already sort of struggling with how they've performed this year. Just to follow
2: up on that, do the Red Sox really have the ness And this is a, I, I just really I don't know. Okay, yeah. do the Red Sox have the necessary pieces to make those deals that you were looking Dave Dabrowski to make? Because he's never been shy about making deals
0: in the past, right? Yeah, they certainly did. Um, they could have dealt from the Major League roster. Somebody like a Michael Chavis is sort of redundant um, or can be redundant on this roster with guys like Marco Hernandez. So that was a piece that could have gone. Um, and then in their low minors, they do have a lot of intriguing uh, minor leaguers and some guys they might not have wanted to part with. And maybe they didn't want to part with Jaron Duran, who played in the Futures game, or Tristan Casas, their first baseman that they drafted last year. Um those guys are all performing well. There, there were definitely enough guys, especially for some of the prices that we saw pitchers go for. You know, we saw Marcus Stroman go for um, two prospects that, well, well regarded, are, are certainly not out of the realm of the type of guys that the Red Sox could have offered. And we saw the Nationals make a lot of deals with a very weak farm system, too. So I think it was just more of a choice uh, by Dave Dombrowski and potentially... Um, his bosses just to to not add to this team for whatever the reason. Just let me, I
2: guess, throw a little bit of a kind of a, a well, how do I say it. Just a devil's advocate question. Sure. It's it's really kind of weird because I'm actually talking about this on the show that this interview is on tonight, and that is Brad Ausmus. Ausmus was with Dombrowski with Detroit. I had to go back and pull some tape of an interview I did with the guy from Locked On Tigers, who's now elsewhere. But and he had talked about what had happened with the falling apart of the Tigers and in how Dombrowski basically cleared out the farm system and even cleared off a lot of the pieces that were on the major league roster to try and make a set amount of runs to win a World Series. Mm-hmm. And in the end, now we see with Detroit's in a full rebuild. Is it possible that maybe Dombrowski had looked back and said, "You know what? I'm not doing that again. I can't do that to this franchise." we're going to have to hold Pat or was there some, was there some other factor involved with his decision-making you at least you think in terms of the trade deadline
0: yeah so I think there's three possibilities one is that he looked at what he did in Detroit and just like you said said hey I'm not going to do that again I'm not going to bankrupt the future of the team because I'm planning to be here the other conspiracy theory is that he doesn't have a contract after this year so he might be getting the feeling like this organization and the ownership and john henry isn't thrilled with what he's done this year and that he might be on the way out and they might have said to him hey listen um don't trade any of the groceries that are down in the farm system because we're going to have somebody else coming in here to replace you next year maybe that's a possibility third possibility is just simply that the asking prices for the guys that they were actually interested in were so high that dave dombrowski didn't feel like he could make those those prices work um you know maybe the price for an edwin diaz or kirby yates or uh a a pitcher of that caliber was just not something that he wanted to pay maybe tristan Casas was someone that they demanded and he didn't want to give him up or andrew benintendi was the piece and they view him as as a piece of the core for the future so i think there's really three different things but i do think that dave dombrowski's future with this club is very much in question more than I thought it would have been um, heading into this season.
3: Wow. That
2: kind of blows my mind. He just won a world series.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, But I think that the team is going through a little bit of a transitional period. And I'm not sure that the um, ownership is really thrilled with some of the decisions that he made. And number one amongst those, I think that everybody has to be looking at and questioning right now is the decision to, signed Chris Sale to a five-year extension or five-year deal um, before he actually became a free agent. Um, he, he signed him to that deal this offseason, and we knew that Chris Sale had struggled with injuries down the stretch last year, did get the final out of the World Series, but you know wasn't a big piece um, of that rotation in the later months of the season because he wore down and was injured again. And now he's on the hook for five more years. That deal hasn't even started yet, and Chris Sale is pitching to a high four ZRA this year with his velocity way down and a lot of starts. So I think there are some big question marks as to what Dave Dombrowski has done. All right. Well, looking forward to this series, though, the
2: Angels, Red Sox, you, we've, we've seen some great series in the past between these two clubs. History. Very, some very big history in the postseason and even some regular season games. But the Red Sox, like we've talked about, have always seemed to have their number. Looking at this matchup now with a team that is really in a bad place, Angels are in a really, really bad place, how did they match up going in this weekend knowing the Red Sox themselves have to struggle a little bit?
0: Yeah, well, let me just preface the struggles of the Red Sox. Uh, before losing um, eight, well, They lost eight in a row, then they won one game against the Royals, and they lost the next one, which I was at yesterday, and then they're losing again tonight. So we're looking at losing 10 out of the last 11 games. So the Red Sox are in a really bad spot right now. But I will say, as bad as the spot as the Red Sox are, they still have a much stronger offense than the Angels. Um... And the thing that really hurts the Angels' chances, in my opinion, is that that starting rotation right now, looking at your Angels' rotation, it's unrecognizable from what it was at the beginning of the year. Um, And I think that an offense as good as the Red Sox is set to take advantage of, of those pitchers. But then again... You know, they're not teeing off on Glenn Sparkman as we speak. So i it's tough for me to say, but my gut feeling is that the Red Sox just have too much firepower on offense uh, for the Angels to keep up in this one.
2: Now, in terms of the damage the Angels lineup can do to the Red Sox, what are you seeing right now with your pitching staff?
0: Well, the pitching is, is terrible um, right now. Uh, the, the only pitcher who's been performing pretty consistently well is Eduardo Rodriguez, who's actually pitching right now, so uh, you're you're not going to get to see him. So that's not a good thing for the Red Sox. Uh, and also, the bats that the Angels have are really impressive. Um, you know, I could sit here and talk about Mike Trout uh, all day, um, but then Otani is amazing. Uh, Fletcher, Matt Thais, um, Cole Calhoun's having a great season. There are a lot of underrated bats in that lineup, and I think that they could definitely do some damage against a Red Sox pitching staff that's pretty soft right now. And especially when you get to the bullpen, uh, they should be able to take advantage of those guys. And I was actually at the Sox with a a friend of mine from Japan, Kaz Yamazaki, who actually writes for Baseball Prospectus, And he's seen Otani probably hundreds of times over there. And uh, he told me that he believes that Otani has the potential to be a top 10 hitter in all of baseball. If he just hit, that's kind of how he views him in terms of talent. So I think his bat scares me almost as much as Trout's does.
2: I would agree in terms of potential for Otani. The problem is he doesn't play in the field. So when you get those breaks, like you just have with the, Red so- with the Reds and the Red Sox, the Reds or other national league teams, like the Cardinals, he's he's not in the lineup. Yeah, And he has struggled at times against left-handers this year. He's gotten better. But he has struggled times there, so I think we're still seeing him develop as a hitter against Major League pitching. And I have to wonder long term what the Angels' plan is because we've we've talked about it on our show. It's like he the Angels gave him their word when they signed him when he agreed to sign with them that they would allow him to go hit and pitch. And at some point, they're gonna have to make a final decision though when it comes down to will his elbow be able to hang, you know keep up with it when he comes back from surgery. And so on and so forth. The rest of the lineup, though, the big strength for the Angels has been contact. They make a ton of contact.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, during this recent slump, the one thing that they have not done much this year, they've done a lot. They struck out 17 times on Monday night, 11 times last night. They've been, they struck out all over against Cleveland. How is Boston's pitching in terms of creating the strikeout? in avoiding contact with opposing hitters.
0: Well, that's a that's definitely going to be an issue for you guys because the Red Sox are among the best teams in the league uh in terms of strikeouts generated. Even when their rotation is going really bad, it's still one of the top rotations in the league at generating strikeouts and the bullpen has consistently been in the top 3 at generating strikeouts. So, while they do give up the long ball a lot, they definitely miss a lot of bats. So you mentioned the five-year extension for Sally. What is
2: going on with him? 5 11, four, six, eight ERA this year, not what you're paying for, that's for sure. He's going up against our young buck, basically a triple-A starter in Dylan Peters who's done fairly well. Uh, what's going on with Chris?
0: Uh, the big thing for, for Sale has been um, his, his slider – has lost a lot of the movement that it had last year and too often that slider is just not getting the same break that it used to and it's sitting up and it's just a really juicy pitch for um people to pounce on and they have been the home run rate that he's allowing this year is so far and away above anything that he's ever allowed before that it is really troubling and part of that's probably the ball a lot of that's location a lot of it's pitch execution The other thing factoring into this is we don't really know how much this has to do with the Red Sox game plan. Um, Daniel LeVange is the pitching coach. He was the bullpen coach for a long time. He became the pitching coach last year, and this is his second year fully in charge of the pitching. Um, Christian Vasquez, the catcher of the Red Sox, said that teams know um, that they are trying to attack hitters upstairs. And they're waiting for high fastballs, and the Red Sox are getting crushed uh, when they do throw high fastballs. So I don't know how much of this falls on the pitching staff as well. I don't have, let's just say this I haven't lost faith in Chris Sale long term. I don't necessarily believe that this five year deal is going to be bad. I do think that there are big questions going into next year Is Dayton Lavangi the right pitching coach for this team? Should they change that philosophy? And what does Chris Sale need to do to change himself as a pitcher as he does lose a little bit of velocity, as he does age? Now, they did just recently come out and say that they think they've found something with Chris Sale's slider. Um, So maybe mechanically that will be fixed and he'll get some of that horizontal movement that he lost back with that pitch. Um, But right now he's just getting crushed too often um, by the home run.
2: What concerns do you have right now overall for this series concerning the, the Angels? What what kind of problems can they cause you?
0: Well, it, it just – it starts with Mike Trout. Um, in, in my opinion, Mike Trout is just – he's peerless. He's the best player in baseball by far. Uh, I think he's the best player in baseball history. I'm ready to give him that title already. Um, he basically does what Mookie did last year in his MVP year uh, every single season. The only thing that he doesn't do anymore really is steal, steal as many bases as I'd like. But um, I, I think that what they can do is they can string together hits. Um, we've seen that the the Angels this year have been a, a pretty decent club. At, at, even though they do lack a little bit of thump, they do string together hits. Like you said, they don't strike out. So they can start rallies. And I think that that was, would be a huge problem against the Red Sox pitching if the Red Sox pitching – Uh, is not executing and we haven't seen them execute well recently Uh, so it's going to put a lot of pressure on the red sox defense to make plays um and we have seen that that can be an issue at times too devers struggled early in the year with his defense at third base uh that's improved quite a bit but first base has been a little bit of a uh, carousel this year with all the injuries that they've had and second base as well so um you know, that that could put a lot of pressure and and put them in some difficult situations. You mentioned
2: Mike Trout. And, um, you know, we, we obviously love the guy <laughs> watching him play. He's a he's a generational player in the least. You mentioned you believe he's the best that's ever played the game. That's high, high praise. How do the folks out there in the East Coast overall
0: in Boston view him as a player? I think that to the average fan... He's still so underrated just because, um, you know, he's he, as he likes to bill himself as the the quiet guy from Millville, uh, he, he doesn't really pound his chest. He's not on advertisements all the time. Um, even the ad campaign that he's got going on with Major League Baseball right now is uh, so Mike Trout and so understated. Um, I, I just don't think that your average fan views him as any better than Stars like Mookie Betts or stars like Aaron Judge or, you know, the guys that we see with regularity, even though we as, as as people who look at the game analytically know that Mike Trout doesn't even belong in the same universe as those players with everything that he can bring to the table. So um, I hope that Boston fans get a chance to enjoy some really interesting, cool performances from Mike Trout this weekend and you know frankly with the way the Red Sox have been playing baseball um, I'm just looking for some cool Mike Trout moments uh, more than I'm looking for anything uh, so I, I just hope that we get to see him put on a show this week.
2: Well you know what thanks so much for the time that you will give us tonight I know it's, uh, you're trying to watch a game <laughs> it's our off night it's your game night so we'll let you get back to it. Can you let folks know where they can find you, find your work and of course find
0: Locked On Red Sox Sure, yeah. You can uh, find Locked On Red Sox, the podcast, on basically anywhere you get your podcasts, Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dev Jake, and uh, you can follow the Locked On Red Sox account at LO underscore Red Sox. I also do another long-form Red Sox podcast, over at over the monster the sb nation blog and that's the over the monster podcast i do that weekly with my co-host keaton derosher so you can check that out on all those platforms as well if you want a little bit of a deeper dive into the team outstanding jake thanks so much again for your time really appreciate and hopefully
2: we can touch bases when the return trip happens later this month
0: all right sounds great thanks for having me
2: thank you all right so there you go We'll see how the series goes. I get the feel, the Angels will start hitting here sooner or later. They're starting to show signs of it. The big thing, make contact. Make contact. Make contact. They can make contact in Fenway Park. There's a lot of space in the move. They have to get back into the groove of putting the ball in play, cut back down the strikeouts, and they're going to be all right. They're going to be fine. In terms of pitching, that's a different story. Let's just... Try to keep these games close, get into the bullpen's a little bit, especially Boston's bullpen, and they might be able to pull some stuff out. That's the hope. That's gotta be the hope heading into this weekend series. It is time for us to go. It's time for us to say goodnight. Have a great one out there. As we leave, don't forget you can find us on Twitter at Talkin' Halos. You can find me on Twitter at DC You can also find our podcast. Subscribe. You know, that'd be a great thing for you to do. You can find us on Apple Music or on Spreaker iHeartRadio, anywhere you basically listen to podcasts. There's a couple more we can to try and get ourselves on. I got it. I'm got i looking at that, but we're pretty much everywhere at this point. So it's up to you. If you want to subscribe, we'd really appreciate it. Get us right on your dial. If you have any feedback for us, as always, don't forget to email us talkinghalosgmail.com or head on over to Twitter. You can DM us there. We keep our box open or on Facebook as well. All right. So for the entire and Halos team, for the vacationing John and the working Nick, This is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy, and we'll talk to you Sunday night. We have a couple guests coming in. It should be a blast. Take care. We're out of here.
3: Can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jaylen Brown, frozen.
1: Where else is your own city home to your biggest rival? The
3: battle of the lake is
1: real, people.
0: And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry,
1: action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on?
0: Where else is history still in the making? Oh my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.